inclusion and inclusive design is just a process. But what we're really looking for is equity. Um, and when we have equity, all of a sudden our products are better, our services are better, people are happier at work. Um, you have more diverse, more robust communities. And, and um, from a business perspective, we're finding that companies that use inclusion and inclusive design have more robust products, they're more nimble, and they've got greater audiences than they ever have before. Welcome back to the Leaders for Good podcast. Inclusive leadership is just good leadership. In this episode, we sit down with Manisha Armin. Manisha is the CEO at the Center for Inclusive Design. She has a background in strategic marketing, communications, cultural transformation, creativity, and she's a thought leader uh, in the power of thinking from the edge. And in this episode, we really dive into why inclusive leadership matters, why so many leaders and organizations are nervous about taking action on diversity, equity, and inclusion, how leaders are creating the systems that foster a lack of equity, and explore the power of leading from the edge, thinking about those uh, users that aren't normally in the consideration for products, services, processes, the potential of that for transforming organizations. This is a real treat. Manisha is absolutely a a wonder and and has a a depth of, of knowledge and thought on this topic. And for those of you who want to explore further, we leaders for good and manisha and the center for inclusive design are co-hosting an inclusive leadership workshop on february the 23rd so in this workshop we'll further explore why inclusive leadership is a must-have we'll identify some of the specific traits and behaviors of inclusive leadership and we'll provide a roadmap for individuals looking to develop their capacity and to lead more inclusive organizations Uh, We're really, really looking forward to this. It's going to be a great event. So if that sounds like your cup of tea, you can go to leadersforgood.org slash events to sign up. And we'll all, of course, uh, have links to that in the show notes as well. So without further ado, we bring you this conversation with Manisha Armin. podcast um kerry boys with us as always i'm phil cross hello uh, and we are very very lucky to be joined by manisha armin today manisha how are you going very well thank you it's so good to be here good stuff uh, manisha is ceo at the center for inclusive design um, um we've known each other for a little while now and we've been sort of conspiring and collaborating and been keeping in each other's orbits and it just seemed a very natural conversation to have on mic so yeah thanks for joining real pleasure i just think it's um hysterical how sydney can be such a small place right Mm. um the two of us met at a conference sitting next to each other and within five minutes we realized that we had so many connections similarities 
we realised we had the same coach. It's the same coach. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite which hysterical. Is, yeah, which is which is wonderful. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, so ju- just for the audience and a little bit of background on you, how do you how do you find yourself doing the work you're doing? Tell us the story of how you how you came to be the the CEO of the Centre for Inclusive Design. Look, I really don't know how I ended up in this role, <laughs> um, but I think I have this. The way that I choose jobs is that I don't stay in roles. The two things that I look for, one is I don't want to say no more than I'm saying yes. Mm -hmm. And often I think we find that when you know something a lot, you've been doing it for a really long time, it's easy to say, oh, no, we've tried that or we've done that. And the other part of it is um, do I get up in the morning um, stressed and challenged because I'm really not too sure how I'm going to do what I'm going to do? And if I'm not feeling that, then I know I've been in a role for too long because it's about complacency then. Mm. And um, I was in an interesting situation. I had a fantastic job. I loved my job. Uh, I loved the people I worked with. I had a high-performing team. But my best friend passed away and my grandmother passed away in the Mm. space of a week. And and I was just sort of saying, and I realised that actually I wasn't challenging myself anymore. Um, And I had such an awesome team. They already knew what they wanted to put out in the world. I didn't need to be there anymore. And so I literally rang someone and said, um, I've seen an ad you've had out for ages. And I, as a woman, first CEO role, I wasn't too sure whether I had the skills. So I rang up to say, do you, what skills do I need to have to apply for a job like this? And by the end of the conversation, I had an interview for the next day. And two weeks later, I had the role. Wow. And that's how I ended up in this space. And But there is something consistent in my work, and that is this real interest in humans Mm. and social justice. Mm. And um, I've worked in the corporate sector. I've spent a lot of time in the not-for-profit sector and the education sector, but it's all because they're knotty problems that don't have a simple answer or a simple pathway. Knotty problems. I like that. Mm. And how long have you been in the role? I've actually been with the organisation now for four years. When we started, though, and when I started there, the organisation was called Media Access Australia. And so the purpose of the organisation was to help people to access media, um, particularly people with a disability, through technology. And when we think about the world today, it's it's kind of an interesting thing, right? At the time the organisation was formed, media was this box, this square box that sat on a table or a wall, and we watch television through it. Mm. Yeah. Um, that's just not the case anymore. And when we think about access these days, access is so different to that. Um, and we knew that accessibility was something that people could do, but they weren't. So we went on this transformation journey and what we did was we took ourselves out of the picture. So we decided that we weren't going to care whether or not um, our jobs were going to exist in the future or not, but we wanted to know as a charity if there was a place for us or whether we just needed to dissolve. So the question was, um, what does media mean to humans today? Why aren't people able to access things and how can we help? And, And is there really a need for helping? And what does the word Australia even mean? And mm. great question. Yeah, and we ended up in a cent- um we used inclusive design without knowing that that's what it was. We talked about 100 people and companies. Um we came up with 74 different options for what our organization would look like and we ended up with um the Center for Inclusive Design. And our whole premise is we want to unlock the the knotty problems. We want to unravel those knotty problems um for businesses so that they can actually find value through inclusion. 
So inclusion's not something we do on the side. Mm-hmm. It's not a hygiene factor. It's just how we do business to grow um, and meet our audiences to feel better about going to work every day um, and also to have conversations with people that we often don't have conversations with, right? Mm. There are people that we're scared to talk to in this, this world, all of us. And so this is a really gentle way of actually building social cohesion. Yeah, love it. And one of the things that I've loved in the sort of relatively short time I've known you is your passion and energy in this space. It's kind of amazing. Well, if I'm not passionate about something, why would I do it? Yeah. I figure. And, you know, I'm lucky. I've got a lot of privilege in that I can say that, right? There are a lot of people in this world who um, might not have that. But I think if we can make meaning from what we're doing and there's passion there, then it makes it more in life more energizing i heard someone this morning um talk about his father and his father's a doctor and he was talking about gratitude mm. and he said that his dad when he first moved to new zealand from um india wasn't able to work as a doctor and so he worked as a taxi driver and he worked as a fruit picker but he never complained and everything he did he did with gratitude mm. and as a doctor today he still says um Picking those strawberries was one of the most insightful things he's ever done. Mm. And I think it comes back to that. Yeah, it's great. Um, One of the reasons that I think I was drawn to the Centre for Inclusive Design and what you do, A, because, you know, the conversations we've had, but inclusive design for me is should be the aspirational way that leaders and organizations are thinking about developing all strategies. It, it just leads to better strategy at the end of the day from a business lens. The, the more perspectives you include, the more um, uh, people you consult and bring along the journey, the more you try and um, you know provide diversity, inclusion and equity to um, you know to, to, to all stakeholders, the more rounded and, and nuanced and and robust products, services, processes you're going to develop and the more successful and effective you're going to be as an organization. So you said that so well. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And it comes down to the, um, we've been talking about it in, in kind of three different lenses. There's the, there's the responsibility of organizations to do this on a, just on a deeply human level that, that it's the right thing to do, um, to provide an opportunity for everybody to, to thrive and to engage and to reach their potential. Um, it's the opportunity for, for organizations to, um, you know, to, 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 again, apply from a strategic perspective and, and, and be more effective. Um, and then there's the risk of not doing it as well. There's, you know the 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 cultural climate is changing around us um and you know not moving with that as an organization um puts it puts you know the 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 whole organization at some kind of existential risk so i think there's um so many reasons for people to be leaning into inclusive design and more inclusive leadership yes that's absolutely right i think um without getting too kind of philosophical, but I am going to get a bit philosophical Great. for a moment, is um, I think if we think about leaders and what leadership is and what leadership looks like, um, for so long we've been told that leaders steer from the top, that as a leader you have to be right. You can't show your fear because if you show your fear, everybody else will be fearful. Mm. Um, we need to talk in cl- behind closed doors. We have to be the people with all the answers. And... The minute that you are that person, by the very nature of those dimensions, you're being exclusive. Um, And in fact, it's really hard to be de-biased 
or to make decisions that are flexible or to hear other points of view mm. if you're meant to be the person with all the answers. So, and, you know, we know that this doesn't work. And I think when we talk about leadership, people often say, no, you know, you need to bring along your people. But they're not saying that the very sentence, you need to bring along mm. your people, mm. is in effect, mm. in itself, hierarchical. Sure, yeah. You know? So I think... The thing about inclusive design, we are all designers. We all work in a way to create the environments around us. As leaders, we have the ability to do more of that. Um, inclusive design allows us to do this in a way that doesn't feel as personalised. Mm. And I think that's really important today because it's it's no use to say to a leader, oh, well, you know, just be completely transparent, tell people that you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you know, it doesn't work that way. But if we use inclusive design, it's a methodology that allows you to keep your business objectives, um, to keep your values, to keep the system and flex it just enough that all of a sudden the world kind of opens up around you. Mm. You've, you've, you've unpacked quite a bit of it there, but we've been, we've been wrapping this um, in in the sort of container of inclusive leadership and mm -hmm. talking about talking about inclusive leadership. Yeah. Um, and I was going to ask, from your perspective, what are the what are the traits of inclusive leadership, or, or what are some of the dimensions of inclusive leadership that yeah. that the audience might start to, to think about? And, and you've you've touched on you've touched on a few of them there, but um, sure. just rounding it out, are there are there any others that, that sort of spring to mind? Look, I think a, uh, an interesting way to think we have um, three dimensions of inclusive design, and I think we've spoken about those. Mm. differently before. But I think if we think about, I guess, the four quadrants that I know you, you use a lot in, in your work and, and quadrant theory, um, we can kind of look at leadership and inclusion from that um, lens as well. So the first part is really thinking about yourself, um, what your strengths are and what your challenges are. Mm. And not just that, but what your privilege is. And I know we can probably um, put some links to some privilege videos if you'd like, yeah, or we some can... questionnaires at the bottom of this if you'd like. Hundred um, percent. Yeah, we can. We'll we'll put links to everything we mentioned in the show exactly. notes and and any other resources that right. you, you want to share. Yes, because I think the, the challenge with privilege is that people think privilege is a bad thing, right? Mm. Like the whole white man's privilege, mm -hmm. terrible. Well, it's not actually. It's fantastic. And I think everyone wants the same privilege. We all want privilege. So I would rather have privilege than not have privilege. Mm -hmm. I think the challenge is for people who don't have that same privilege, how do we actually level the playing field so they're able to access those same things and they have the same privilege that I might have, um, you know, as someone who lives in this country who has water to drink, mm -hmm. who has an education, all of those things. So how do we... Um, help everyone to have that privilege? Mm. Um, so it's a, you know... It's a positive rather than a negative. But with that privilege comes some blind spots. Mm -hmm. So if you've never known what it's like to be hungry, it's very difficult to understand the choices somebody might make about whether they're going to purchase a phone or a computer system for their child for school if they can't get enough food on the table. Mm. You know? So I think as a leader, that, that first piece is around, that first quadrant is around where are my gaps and who might I have in my ecosystem that I listen to that has some strengths in those areas? Mm. Okay. Um, second type is who, who are the people in my group? Who are the people on my, um, in my world? So there's a company we work with, and I think from a leadership perspective, um, this company, they're an um, IT um, consulting company, and they don't have a lot of women through the ranks. And they were going through their promotions 
this particular year. And their CEO said, look, I want to see an equal number of men and women. And he didn't. There were more men. And normally the CEO just kind of rubber stamps that. Well, he didn't. He said, no one's going to get a bonus of promotion until I have 50-50 on the table. So that second step in terms of being a leader, and you know what they found, managers were saying, oh, well, the reason we don't have women is because they don't have the right skills. They don't have the right competencies. Well, women were forced. They were tapped on the shoulder by the DNI person. They got to the interview. Once they got into the interview, they actually performed, outperformed their male counterparts. Mm. You know? So what the leader did there is he had the courage to actually say no um, and to stand by some convictions. Mm. So the first one is really around um, understanding yourself. Second one is around the courage to actually lead. Um, the third one is about being humble and making mistakes. Mm. So even in the course of this presentation, I know I will say something that someone may well contact me and say, actually, Manisha, disagree with that, or you've spoken about this in a way that's not right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the learning process. Mm -hmm. We're never going to get it right. Inclusion is a practice. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's some of the things that I think are really interesting and important. And then the last one is baking this into our everyday work. Mm. So as a leader, I think it's not just about saying, you know, we do X or Y and we do inclusion. It's about having inclusion as part of our DNA and mm. our purpose. So if we look at, say, a company like Microsoft who've changed the way they work, they're um, vision is for everyone to be able to access the best in the world and technology, mm. not just some people. So that everyone means that staff are rewarded for when they broaden the audience group to people who are normally excluded. Mm. So it becomes part of the system then. Yeah, Does that make think, sense? Absolutely. And I think what you're touching on there around incentives yes. and how you measure is so important because what we often see in organisations is if you're measuring something um, else, then it's not going to lead to those results that you're after. So exactly. it has to be part of people's KPIs to make sure it's happening. Absolutely. And I think it's as people embody inclusion, you don't need to have a separate one. Mm -hmm. mm. So I think we've talked before about, you know, the need for diver diversity is about stats. It's mm. about numbers. Yeah. It's about how your organisation's going comparatively to the rest of society. Yeah. So it's a really good place to find your blind spots. Right? Yeah. Um, inclusion and inclusive design is just a process. Mm. But what we're really looking for is equity. Yeah. Um, and when we have equity, all of a sudden our products are better, our services are better, people are happier at work. Um, you have more diverse, more robust communities. And, and um, from a business perspective, we're finding that companies that use inclusion and inclusive design have more robust products, they're more nimble, and they've got greater audiences than they ever have before. So mm. it does really work together. Can we just take a moment to talk a bit more about equity? Yes. It's one of those areas that really confuses people and the difference between equality and equity. Do you yeah. want to talk to that a little bit? Um, there's a really nice little picture that you can see, I think, online. Have you seen this one? Yeah, the, the fence. The fence. Yep. Yep. So e equality is... <laughs> It's like the difference between um, Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter. Mm. Okay, obviously All Lives Matter. Okay, and we want, which is equality, which is equality. Yep. Okay, but the thing is, the reason that um, Black Lives particularly matter is this group of people because they do not have the they've had systemic injustice that has led to a lack of privilege. Means you know how we we're talking before about everyone having a similar level of privilege. Some people have to jump through bigger hoops than others. Mm. So equality takes that into account. 
So I think particularly in Australia, this is something we're really bad at. And I think it's because culturally we have this idea that we'll give everyone a fair go Mm. and that, you know, we have quite an egalitarian society. So we don't realise that actually there are some people who find it much more difficult than others. Mm. So an example of that is we were looking at recruitment recently and I know that when someone comes to an interview panel, my assumption is... I have a diverse interview panel and when I'm sitting there, as the resumes come in and the person comes in the room, I judge them equally, mm-hmm. Okay, which is about equality. But what I haven't taken into account is the way they've walked in that room. So one of my staff members tells the story, he happens to be vision impaired, that when he goes in for an interview, he can't see anyone. It takes him a while to get to the building. When he gets to the building, he often can't get in the lift without help. At the moment, um, with COVID, he has to then work out how to sign in with one of those touch pads. Mm. By then, he's normally hot and sweaty. If he goes to the bathroom, he has to have someone guide him there and then make sure he doesn't have... He can't tell if he's got sweat on his face unless he feels it. Mm. He then walks into the room and then has to, by listening, remember everyone's names, who they are and who he's speaking to... As he sits down, at which point someone says, so can you tell us about yourself? Mm-hmm, mm. okay. So that for him is not equal, like it's not, um, it's not equality. Yeah. When he answers that question, the way he answers that question isn't the same as someone who has had a calm ride in a taxi to the door, sat down, had a cup of tea um, and then walked in the room. Mm. So I think, you know, without talking about um, Indigenous rights or or schooling or vulnerability. It's a very simple way of thinking about what happens before you walk in that room and how we need to think about that mm. as we're in that room. I, just something you said really resonated there and, and it's the simplification of the thinking around this, this, around, around this topic because it's easy, I think, to get caught up in the content of, of, of so many different, um, different skews to this. As you say, it's Indigenous rights, it's Black Lives Matter, it's, it's et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think some of the – you mentioned the, 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 maybe the paralysis caused by fear for some yep. leaders before. I'm, I'm nervous about taking action here because if I say the wrong thing mm-hmm. or if I, if I approach this in the wrong way, I'll get called out. So actually – pulling back to a set of, of basic principles which which cause you which which sort of um, leaders question their own assumptions question how they're showing up um, and 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 take the time to to step into um, step into the shoes of of, of, of others uh, before and during and, and and after kind of any engagement I, I think is a powerful frame around this um, yeah. And absolutely, and I think one of the things we we talk about edge users. So edge users mm. are people design doesn't work for. So I think the thing to think about is in the middle of the room, if you take any customer group or staff group um, and you plot them on a scattergram, you get um, a bell curve. And the mm. people in the middle are the people design works for. Mm. So the interview process as mm-hmm. it is now works for or, or whatever it is um, the product works for. And then there's the ones that have a few problems but they're okay, and then there's the ones design really doesn't work for. Mm. And when you work with those edge users, um, and they're not the thing is they're not only set different from the middle; they're also um, different from each other. Mm. 
Um, mm. And normally they're only about 26% or 22%. But if you add them with the people the design doesn't work for, we're talking about there's only probably about 20 to 25% of people that everything works for perfectly. Mm. So by looking at those edges, what you, you can do is you can look at what doesn't work and how we can create um, hyper-personalization and flexibility. Mm. Um, it doesn't sound like I'm answering the question, but the reason I'm saying this is when we get comfortable with working with people on the edge as leaders, um, then it's really easy to get comfortable with working with people in the middle. Mm. It becomes, I guess, just a standard way of operating. And... At the beginning, we spoke about, I guess, the leadership challenge. I think inclusive design helps leaders to be better leaders, not just better inclusive leaders, mm. because it allows us to be more human ourselves. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. Um, I'm going to ask a devil's advocate question sure. now, because I think it's one that, that comes up in the mind of, of individuals thinking about inclusive design. But when you're thinking about designing for the edge... Where does the edge stop? Where, do, where does, yep. uh, you know, you think about organizations that have, and leaders who, who both have finite capacity and finite resources and finite ability to to um, to continually iterate and, and take on more and more and more. And again, this is a devil's advocate question. Um, how does that, how does that play into the thinking around, around inclusive leadership and inclusive design? If I don't add, I want to answer this question in two ways. Mm. So the first way is, well, when the edge stops, you end up with Kodak. Mm. Mm. Okay. So when does the edge really, like, when do we stop design? When do we stop iterating? When do we stop thinking about our business? Um, so really, it's no different to that. So in terms of when do we stop doing this? Well, we stop doing this when we cease to exist. However, I think there's another question you're asking here, um, and this comes back to the – this is why diversity can be kind of challenging sometimes because mm -hmm. it's numerical, right, and it slices and dices people. So I think what you're asking is, you know, we look at women and then we look at um, people of colour and then we look at First Nations and then we look at LGBTQI, but do we do the plus now and, and how do we think about everyone? Is that the question you're kind of asking as well? Or, or how do we think – maybe if we ground it in a – maybe if we ground it in a sort of product design example, yeah. uh, it might be easier to easier – to grok so you know we're designing a uh, a new microphone and 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 how many different user groups do we test that microphone with how many different um iterations or design sprints do we go through in order to you know be as inclusive uh, as possible with our design just yep. given given the constraints of organizational time money well this is where transparency is really important right mm. so if you're not inclusive say so so, mm. for instance, when we're talking here, this podcast is not inclusive at the moment No. Um, when it comes to people who are deaf. Sure. And you might go, okay, who isn't this inclusive for? And you might go, okay, deaf people. Um, and then you might go, actually, but if we put a transcription on, which we can do really quickly through YouTube, then it works for that group as well. Mm. Um, who else isn't it inclusive for? Well, it's not inclusive for people who don't have YouTube or who don't have a podcasting system. Mm. And actually, we know that now and we're choosing not to do anything about that. Mm. So I think that the, the trick with inclusion isn't to try to create something that's inclusive for everyone every time if you can't. We're on a journey here. Mm -hmm. yep. It's to go, which edge am I going to approach first and actually be conscious about it. Mm. So I think the problem when we think about use groups rather than use cases is that instead of going, how do we make the best 
podcast, if you like, that we can, and who's missing out on this podcast and what what do we need to do to make that group or help that group um, to be able to access this by changing what we do. Mm. By doing that, we're actually increasing our audience. Okay. 100%. So in a sense, what we're saying is start with, because those groups on the edge are very different to the middle, we say start with one one person and then another person. When we're doing use, usability work, we find you start to see patterns at about uh, between five and ten people. It doesn't take a lot of people mm. before you see some real patterns of what's not working. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, you can keep going until the patterns start, just like you would with any other user experience work. Mm. The reality is, though, that if you work with the edge, we find you you're actually spending as much time and money as you would working with people in the middle. Mm. It's just a different group you're working with. So you just get more insight, that's all. I love that. Mm. I love the um, I love the transparency and I, I, I love the thing you alluded to there and it reminds me of the conversation we were having the other day around um, Simon Sinek and the infinite game. And, exactly. And, and seeing business as an infinite game and actually seeing our products, our services, our processes, our, our leadership style as not a static thing but an evolving thing. So... Um, I think if we wrap this a con- in a container of, of agility uh, and of, of iteration, there's no reason on a long enough timeline that we can't listen to user feedback. We can't listen to who this is working for, who this is not working for, and and slowly, 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 uh, maybe it's not on version one, but you know, version 27 of the whatever we're talking Look, about is, is, is far more inclusive and, and, and far more robust. Absolutely. And people are really lovely when they think you've included them. So yeah. even if you say, look, this product doesn't work for this group because of X or Y, and sometimes it's the technology doesn't even exist, right? So you might go, we can't make this work for this group because of X or Y, um, or this technology doesn't exist. When it does exist, we'll be actually implementing this. Or we think we've fixed most things. There might be some things we haven't thought about. Let us know. Mm. So we, when we pr- produced our report, for instance, the benefits of you know designing for everyone, we made a PDF of it. We had a video. Um, and everything was accessible for people who are blind. And then I found out from um, one of our colleagues that there was someone who was bad-mouthing this report who worked in a government department. So I rang him and bless him, what he'd done was he actually couldn't use one of his hands. And it turned out that the document we made didn't work on a particular type of iPad that mm. he was using. Mm. So it would have been really easy for us to go, actually, well, you know, sorry, there's not many of you around. The reality is this man had actually taken our document and literally spent a whole night cutting and pasting bits of it to make himself an accessible work version because he wanted to read it. Wow. So we did it for him um, and we put it on our site and I know people download that version because it works for them. Mm. So I think that the thing is it does take longer. This stuff does take longer up front, mm-hmm. okay, but the costs two years down the track, are significantly less than if you don't do it. Um, and I think when we think about something like an iPhone, say, where or a smartphone, where we all use it differently, that smartphone has been built on this premise and it keeps it... We have different versions, right? And each version is more personalised than the version before. And it comes from working with the edge. So if it wasn't mm. for people with carpal tunnel, we wouldn't have had the original technology that ended up turning into gesture control. Mm. If it wasn't for people who couldn't hear, um, see, we wouldn't have had voiceover, which then ended up helping to design the um, ideas behind things like um, Siri. 
So those edges really matter. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're obviously talking product specifically there, but that equally applies in terms of internal organisational processes, absolutely everything that we're doing. And I think both elements in terms of transparency and this continual development. So one of the challenges we've seen in the past with organisations we work with is organisations trying to do wholesale transformation. So I will be an inclusive organisation within two months. Yeah. And it just doesn't work like that. It has to be this continual change involvement of the people that you're designing for um, before you're going to get to that place. And it comes back to that perfectionist streak, right? Like only if you're perfect can you say you've done it. Mm. And as leaders, we're asked to be perfect. Um, And so there's always this disconnect between who I am as an individual and the persona that I put out there. How many leaders get up and say, you know, I'm really lucky. One of the best things a leader needs to do is have a high-performing team. But what they don't say is one of the best things a leader needs to do is um, really fall on their fort and deal with so much criticism in the process of creating a high-performing team. Okay. We need resilience to get there. That's not spoken about. So as a new leader, people go, oh, I must be that. Um, and the gap is then too high. Yeah. And so when we think about how that works with inclusion, to answer your other question as well, mm. I think there's this notion of fear and shame. Yeah. Yeah. So when we're working with people on the edge, it becomes a target audience. Whereas if I said, well, you know, in my recruitment process, is there anything you might need or anything that would help you so that um, you're really well prepared for this interview? I don't need to go, have I done it for blind people and deaf people or somebody who lives far away? That question is actually open to all of us. Yep. Mm. Okay. And that's the benefit of this system. It's not kind of going for disability. It's actually just going for personalization. Yeah, mm. for individuals. Individuals, Yeah. I think it's really interesting because the more we're talking about inclusive leadership, the more it's not inclusive leadership, it's just good leadership. 100%. Yep. Um, and I think it's such an interesting topic and we've talked a lot about what best in class looks like. Yeah. Have you got any examples, you don't have to name any names, but when this has gone wrong, when you've seen people that aren't being inclusive in their leadership? Absolutely. So I'm going to ask you a question. Go for it. Um, tell me about the worst manager you've ever had. Yeah. Fair question. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You know, did you feel included? Did um, the person listen to the views around them? No. Yep. Um, did they really struggle? Yep. Yeah. So it's back to the point that it's actually just leadership. It is. And it's I think what I find with myself is mm. when I am struggling with myself, it's often because I'm not being inclusive. Yep. Mm. And then it comes back to that notion. I think for leaders, it always comes back to power, choice and control. Yep. So where does the power sit in this relationship? Mm. As leaders, we often have a lot more. We're given control. And therefore, we think we need it. Um, And I struggle with this myself, you know. Um, How do I pass the control over without feeling like people might think I'm incompetent? Mm. This is the challenge of leadership that we struggle with all the time. It doesn't matter what level we're at. Zooming out, two of the the sort of big, um, for me, things that have kind of bubbled up um, are on on the side of the leader, humility we talked about the other day as well and vulnerability mm. in in order to say i don't know everything i'm going to make mistakes and i, and I need i need you um and from a uh, both an organization and i think broader societally as well um more um, forgiveness is the wrong word but but more 
acceptance of imperfection and and more and more more of a view of of, of this journey um i i think you know exasperated by technology the, the worst of twitter is this 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 virtuous call out culture of yeah. you know again somebody somebody who does something remotely not perfect is shamed and vilified um, and, vilified. Mm. Mm. and you know there are there are some legitimate cases of of people who've done legitimately you know wrong and evil things but but so many so much of the time it's it's people who've taken a, a bit of a blundering misstep and they John Ronson wrote a great book about that the so you've been publicly shamed um which is just a, a fascinating sort of collection of case studies but this this notion of kind of public shaming around this um I think is uh, again the cause of a lot of, of organizational he, uh, hesitation yes so many of the yeah. conversations we've had are you know the, the 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 example that's been cited most to us at the moment around we don't know what to do and we're scared is is the um you know so many organizations got berated for posting black squares during the the kind of racial justice um, yes. um you know uh, protests in in the states and again whether that was justified or not the, the 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 cause of that the systemic cause of that on organizations is is probably more inaction than action um mm, yeah. I, i'd say 100 percent. yeah and it comes back we did some research there's two answers to this and i think it comes back to constructive dialogue which i think mm. we've lost in in the world mm. right yeah. mm-hmm. um but i think also that when we're scared, we've done some research around fear and shame, and what we find is, on an individual basis even, if you don't want to do the wrong thing, you're going to take a step back. Mm-hmm. And then if you're taking a step back, then it's easy to feel shame because I've done the wrong thing by taking a step back. So then we bury our heads in the ground and also blame the other person. Mm. A good example of this is um, back in the days before COVID, we used to have the chuggers, the people with cans on the street asking mm-hmm. you for money. Mm-hmm. And they used to get vilified and yelled at and screamed at. People are yelling at them because they they feel bad that they're not yep. giving money because being charitable is a good thing. And all of a sudden you're making me feel uncharitable. So you're making me feel bad. So I hate you. Mm. Okay. Mm. So the person on the other end of that gets double, triple vilified. So what we need to do is get to a point where we can actually own the fact that, you know, we've just chosen not to give money that day. Yeah. Um, and how do we talk to people in a way that doesn't take us three steps away from them? And as companies go, I think the thing to think about there is why are we doing it? Mm. And what are we doing that's authentic? And is it about and how do we do this with the people in the room? So you will never get you will never get publicly vilified for doing something if the people who choose the decision are people from the community that you're seeking to work with. Mm. It's not patronising anymore. Mm. And if that community and the nuance of that community are the ones that come up with the decision of what you're going to do, you get a better result. And that's the part of designing inclusively. Mm. You know, is having those people at the table. Yeah, the um, and again going back to the sort of the why are we doing this question? Uh, I think a quote I shared with you yesterday. The, you know, the the business of business is people. Um, the uh, the old CEO of Southwest Airlines, whose name's escaping me right now, Herb Kelleher. I think it's Herb Kelleher. Anyway, but I. I great great sentiment and i think i think as long as there is that 
that authentic um, drive behind what we're doing, and um, you know, in the in conscious capitalism and whatnot, it's 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 what what is the transcendent purpose purpose of business? What, what's the what's the what's the bigger why behind the the quarterly quarterly exactly. targets? Why are we in business? And if it's not to improve the lives of 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 humans and the planet and and allow for mutual thriving, then then why are we doing anything? Exactly, and I think as when we were reading the, um, you know, the the is it Infinite Game, the Simon Sinek mm. book, I think one of the things I hadn't clocked was it was only in the 80s that we started to say that um, shareholder value was as important as customer value. Mm. Mm. Milton Friedman. So, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Until then, we really weren't talking that language. And if we think about who shareholders are, often um, the shareholders with the loudest voices, mm-hmm. not all the shareholders, but the ones with the loudest voices tend to be people with privilege. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. Um, Our customers don't. So if we look at our customers and you start to say, which customers are missing out? It's a lay down misere that you'd help them or that you'd create for them. Mm. It's only when we've turned around our value system that this becomes a problem. Thinking about the traits of an inclusive leader, and and this this is a tricky one because I don't subscribe to the school that there are um, a universal set of traits for leadership in in yeah. in, in general. Um, we know that the um, you know the, the the quiet, the introverted, the the thoughtful leader can be as effective in a different leadership is contextual and situational, and, yeah. and that leader can be effective and be a wonderful leader. As can the uh, the, the, the the you know the the, the inspirational, blustery, big, larger than life kind of character, and and everything in between. Um, but uh, saying that, I'm wondering if there are there are any specific traits ground grounded in grounded in the the, the lens of inclusivity and, and thinking inclusively and acting inclusively that that you've that you've seen or noticed that come up time and time again. Interesting. I um I will answer this, but I think there's another question here, which is about what is leadership and how do we create mm. more. Um, inclusive leadership frameworks. So I'll Mm. do that second. But Mm. um, what you're talking about, I think that the critical one is in terms of the traits of a leader is going, whose voice am I listening to? Um, And whose voice do I need to listen to? Mm. I think especially today, the world is really complex and we work really fast And so often we rely on our own strengths and skills. And as we become more senior or leaders, there's this assumption that we become leaders because, you know, somehow we're better or we know better about leadership. Mm. But actually we've become leaders because we've just become leaders and we work within a particular paradigm. Mm. So the question is then how do I I create an environment so other people can be their best selves? Mm. And how do I create an environment so we have diversity of opinion and thought um, so that we can actually create more awesome, Mm. basically? And I think that comes to the second part of this question. We're often asked to go into organisations and the the comment will be, we need more female leaders or we need, you know, we don't have enough people who are culturally and linguistically diverse who are moving up the channel. Mm. So you need to work with them to help them to move up the channel. But the social model of disability says, actually, people are fine. You've just created a system they can't work in. Mm. So my question is, well, why aren't they doing it already? Mm. And what's wrong with the way you're working 
that needs to change for that person to do no changing but for them to feel welcomed. Mm. Mm. It's interesting. You know the cartoon we talked about earlier? Yes. So you've got equality, equity, and then we saw one the other day that had justice at yep. the end where they've just removed the fence. Exactly. It's like, yeah, get rid of the systems that <laughs> are in the way. Get rid of the systems yeah. or change the system. So um, they have the same one with inclusive design and the fence is actually made out of um, glass. So it's yep. safe. Yep. But So it keeps the safety, but it doesn't stop the vision and everyone looks the same. Yep. So mm. I think this is, it's changing the frame, Yep. you mm. know, because that's what, that's what it's all about in the end. It's the frame that we use that actually um, causes the behaviours that we get. You know, so. And obviously doing this isn't easy. So if you've got more diversity within your organisation, you have different perspectives, it's really easy to work with people that are similar to you, right? And think yeah. the same as you. So more diversity equals more complexity. Yes. What is the, and again, this is a question I know the answer to, Phil's yes. devil's advocate, what's the impetus for organisations to go through what can be quite a hard process? Okay, so I think there's a caveat to all of this. Diversity is not good if um, your value systems are very different. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Okay, so we make a conscious effort in our organisation to have diverse views, diverse opinions and diverse levels of privilege. But if somebody doesn't believe in diversity, they cannot work for the Centre for Inclusive Design. Yeah. Mm. Okay, um, so it's not necessarily or if someone believes that um, that certain community. So we have ethical values, mm-hmm. and what I would argue is, if someone thought it was okay to steal or lie mm-hmm. um, in order to get some money in the door, our organisation is not the organisation for them to work with. Mm. So I think when we're looking for diversity, we're looking for diversity of thought and experience, but we're looking for cohesion around values. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, um, And you can find cohesion around values in all sorts of places. A person can, you know, have gone to jail and still have a value around um, doing good to people or a sense of social justice. Um, if you don't have a um, sense of what a, the value is, you end up in a situation like we've seen around the world in politics where people go, I'm allowed to say what I want. Well, actually, you're, what you're saying, I believe in evidence, for instance. Mm. If you don't have that as a value, then this might not be the right place. So there is a difference between mm-hmm. the two that I think companies need to be careful yep. about. Otherwise, you just end up with cacophony. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And I think... Yeah. One of the things that we've been talking to some clients about recently is uh, conflict is the wrong word, but disagreements yes. aren't bad. No. And it's allowing people and giving people the structures and frameworks to be able to have those in a really positive, productive way. Because mm. I think that I think that's the danger is sometimes this goes wrong because they're with to your point previously, we just worry about diversity, but then we haven't done the inclusion part. We haven't enabled people to work well together, to exactly. feel valued, and we're missing a huge part of the puzzle. Exactly. Uh, this, uh, this uh, I'm going to bring this back like I do to so many conversations here about adult development theory and, and moving through, so looking at the, the different um, fairly distinct worldviews that, mm. that are on display in the world and the workplace um, and the easy um, easy way to sort of ground this in a context that we can all we can all understand is looking at the the current cultural climate in in the US at the moment and the the level of division and the level of um, groups of individuals who seem to have bright line differences in terms of their 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 value sets and their worldviews and 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 how they how they view the truth. 
Yeah. So they 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 fundamentally seem to be valuing different things. They fundamentally seem to seem uh, to think that that different things are true, and and uh, on the on the side that's that that kind of uh, causes people to despair. I think in this situation is they seem to be othering the the um, the, the other groups um, in a way that dehumanizes them. It's like they they're just Trump supporters. They're just liber- the li- liberal liberal mm. liberal whack jobs, mm. um, and it's both ways. Yeah, it's, the, it's, the, it's the you know, it's the and the two like let's just talk about two groups, which it's easy to, easy to ground in it. It's 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 the, the the sort of the you know the 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 liberals and the and the the kind of the the more Trump base supporters, and I think I think going back to that notion of inclusive leadership and and thinking about the trait that that I I would see as probably most most important is 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 it is that perspective taking, and it is that ability to see the good, the true, and the beautiful in worldviews um and and at the same time be able to see what needs to be transcended and included and what needs to be um what needs to be moved beyond as well so in in you know in the sort of trump base there's there's wonderful values around family around community around home and hearth around around togetherness like these are not fundamentally broken evil people that they are you know to, to their communities just just wonderful people but you know, at the at the same time, there are some, there are clearly some behaviours and some worldviews. There's some, uh, you know, some um, ethnocentrism there. There's some, um, there's some in group and out group thinking, which is probably healthy to move move beyond. Um, and then in, in the the liberal way of thinking, again, there's 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 wonderful long term thinking. There's wonderful inclusion, but there's also a um, there's a, significant exclusion, right? Significant like, exclusion. It's which, not which all is, inclusion. So well, in fact, it's, it's the majority. Is exclusion wrapped mm. wrapped in a wrapped in a bow of thinking thinking that there's that there's more inclusion than there is there's inclusion as long as you think exactly like us. Mm. Um, Joe so, Biden has got the biggest challenge in inclusive leadership probably of, oh, of so. anyone. <laughs> I think so, and I think there's also this piece about, and especially for a company, right? Not everyone in a company has to have the same views, mm-hmm. but they have to have the same decision-making behaviours mm-hmm. that you want as a company. And I think yeah. the, the inquiries that we have had recently talk about this, right? Mm-hmm. So if you look at, uh, I think the two good case studies here, uh, if you think about um, the CEO of Nest, who used to work for Apple, he says he can't sleep at nights at the moment because he was involved in building some of this, the technology that we have. And he was 25 male, um, worked in Silicon Valley, and they wanted to make these products as sticky as they possibly could. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, now he has a, a child at, who screams when he tries to take away technology mm. from her and he goes, oh, my God, what did I actually create? Mm. And if we had a more diverse group of people in the room, maybe we would have thought about some of these longer-term consequences. Yep. I would argue... Argue mm. that also if he had at the time, if they had a construct that rewarded that thinking, yeah. that would have helped. Yeah. On yeah. the other side, you have things like the inquiry, the banking inquiry, where you have values around um, transparency and um, good monetary practice. Mm-hmm. And then um, we have people whose actions have led to, you know, money laundering and all sorts of terrible things. So... It's the system actually conspires mm-hmm. to those things, but also when somebody is doing something where the values aren't legal, um, where the person's values don't fit the values that the company espouses, yep. you don't want to hire that for your yep. company. And each company has slightly different values, right? Yep. Mm. Um, 
But the diversity of whether or not a person's belief systems are different to you, I mean, everyone's belief systems are different to the person next to them. Mm. We just have little bits that are the same. So, mm. yeah. And the meaner we are, I mean, Trump would not have existed if it wasn't for people vilifying mm -hmm. other groups of people yeah. and calling them out, to your point before. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Beautiful. Um, we we'll probably have to do a round two, I think, of this conversation in terms of, I don't, uh, it feels like we've scratched the surface, but I want to, I want to ask what, for everyone around the table, what are your biggest takeaways from this conversation? What, 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 what struck you the most about this and what would you like to, uh, I guess, leave with the, the listeners to, to chew on? Did you want to start? Did you want me to start? Oh, well, you want to start? <laughs> Look, I think when we walked into this room, I thought we would be doing a lot more conversations about or a, a conversation around um, how do we set up, you know, how do we do inclusive leadership? What will training look like? Mm. What are the practical processes of going about that? Yeah. And I think what we've done instead, which um, I wasn't expecting, but it's been joyous really, is really talk about why inclusive leadership matters. Mm -hmm. mm. And I think um, it's been really lovely to have that conversation and it's it's not often we get that space just to do that. Um, yeah. And how nice if everyone could have that time to kind of reflect on what inclusive leadership, why it matters um, for them as well mm. and, f and for us. So it's been really lovely. Thank you. Beautiful. I think for me it's just the fact that inclusive leadership is just good leadership and how many leadership programs I've seen out there in the world that don't include any of these elements um it feels like it's a big a big missing factor and i know it's part yes. of why we're going to collaborate on something around it mm. but um yeah it's it's good leadership mm. it's a no-brainer i agree with agree with both um both sentiments just shared there and we can we can certainly to manisha to your point we can certainly get into and um you know in the in in our upcoming webinar that i'm just about to <laughs> Just Spruik. about to yes. shamelessly plug, but um, we are going to have a um, uh, open and interactive webinar around uh, the topic of inclusive leadership, and in that we will get into some of the more uh, some of the nitty gritties and the specifics around uh, around the how, I guess, and the and the what does that look like in practice. So um, we will uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to uh, to a place where you can express your interest for that. Um, but but my biggest takeaway is 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 the starting is is the you know if this has moved you um inertia is i think the, the, the probably the number one thing that, that that stops this and whether it's because of fear whether it's because of overwhelm whether it's because of not knowing um the first you know the first piece to move on the chessboard um i i, I think i think I think I think momentum uh, momentum breeds change, and I, I think I think the the action of just getting started, even if it's thinking about this, even if it's just contemplating it for yourself, and I think connecting it to your connecting it to your why, connecting it to you know why does this matter for me? Um, that's I was I was we were we were having lunch with a with a friend the other day, Kerry and I, and um, we were discussing how this 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 world around this world of doing doing more good and this world of conscious capitalism conscious leadership inclusive leadership it's a uh, it's a genie you can't put back in the bottle and it's something you can't unsee uh, i think you know every leader that we've spoken to who's gone down a journey of of exploration and learning in this area once once they've kind of got it in awareness 
they can't go back to old ways of working and thinking. So um, that's that's probably the uh, the motivation behind saying just start because I think a little bit of thinking here gets gets a lot of balls rolling. So that was a long winded answer, but um, <laughs> I'm going with it. Very good one. <laughs> so. Um, Manisha, a few rapid fire getting to know you questions, if we may, just to round out the uh, round out the episode. So, um, evenings and weekends, what do you what do you obsess around, when, obsess about, and what do you spend your time on when you're not thinking about inclusive design and inclusive leadership? Gosh, um, well, this year I've promised I'm not going to work weekends, which is um, a mm. bit new for me. But I have a son who has um, ADHD who is just about to do his HSC this year. Mm. So a lot of my time on the weekends is spent ferrying said son from one activity to another one. Um, I also write. So mm. um, so I, um, I write fiction. So some of my time is spent on that and some gardening this year as well. Um, I wrote my, my 100 list as well. I, if anyone hasn't done this, I highly what recommend it. it. Yeah, I do. So the 100 list is 100 things that you would like to do. Ah, like and a bucket list. Like a bucket list, but they can be as big or small mm-hmm. as you want them. So one of mine was painting the driveway. The other one was around um, learning more about sound therapy and healing. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, that list is what I am going to be doing on the weekends. Nice. Just a little bit of each one of them. So, so good. How far through it are you? Oh, well, I only wrote it last week. Okay, so not too <laughs> far. <laughs> but actually, I have done one. One of the things I realised, I don't know if you've had this issue as well with COVID, is um, we've been just kind of working hard and fast. And in the break, Christmas time, I had 10 days and I saw seven small groups of people. Mm. And I felt fantastic. And I had forgotten how much I needed the company of Mm. others. Mm. So one of the things on that list is actually making sure I meet someone every weekend who I would like to spend some time with. That's beautiful. Really good one. Love it. I'm going to write my 100 list now. You've inspired me. That's great. I've only got 35 things on it, but (laughs) I'm going to get to 100. (laughs) 100's a lot, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. It's great. Next question. Any organisations that you admire for the good they do in the world? Oh my gosh, so many. Give us a couple. What springs to mind? Well, your organisation. Woohoo! Right yeah. answer, correct. Yeah, but you know, like there are so <laughs> many organisations that are really exciting. I think for me, it's never the organisation, it's the people. Yeah. Um, but some of the ones that I love, um, there's a woman called Elizabeth Elizabeth Goodman who works, um, she runs these things called Smart Labs, which is a connection between technology and groups. And mm. she brings them together with 3D and augmented reality. And they all, and you know, everyone from Stella McCartney's fashion designers to Bangladeshi women. Um, and they create awesome things together. So I really love the work that they do. Um, that sounds fascinating. I'll yeah. That's one to look up after yeah. the podcast. It will be in the show notes. Yeah, for sure. Yes, That's absolutely. Awesome. Cool. And then I guess final question for you. What are you reading right now? Okay. What am I reading right now? I have Black Emu down to read. Ah, yes. Um, I have... I don't know Black Emu. Black Bruce Pascoe. Or Dark Emu. Is it Dark Emu? Black Emu. I think it's Dark I'm very Emu. bad with names. Bruce Pascoe's book. Yep. Um, I have a book that I've just finished reading, which is Bernadine's, Bernadine Evaristo, which is um, the, she just won the Booker, ah. I would say. Um, and that's a fantastic book. Is and it a fiction? 
Yeah, it's yep. fiction. Um, and Black Rain Falling, which is another piece of fiction um, by a friend of mine in, in the UK, Jacob Ross. So I've been reading those three books. And, of course, I'm reading all the books related to the Bridgerton series at the moment <laughs> as well. You've got hooks on it? The Bridget. Well, I'd read them before. Okay. I'd read the books before. I'd read half the books before. I'm reading the whole lot at the moment. So. I haven't. I haven't gone there yet. <laughs> I haven't gone there yet. I heard somebody else on talking about it on a podcast well, the other day. Like, if you like hysterical, trashy romance, then it's awesome. I heard it described as historical porn, but... Um... Well, <laughs> you know, I've been thinking about this, and I think if you read romance or romance fiction, it reflects the time. So if mm. you think about books now and relationships, when we think about relationships, we think about sex. Sure. Okay? In the, back in the day, when you thought about relationships, you thought about... Um, money, security, stability, that's not where we are now. So when you read a book that's written about a relationship today, whether it's looking back or forward, it's got sex in it. Mm. Yep. And that's what Bridgerton really is. Cool. So. Okay. Mm. Um, I'm just going to add one to the list as yes. well because I finished it recently and uh, I just wanted to share it with the audience. But Morality by Jonathan um, Sachs. Um, he's the um, he's chief rabbi in the UK. Oh, wow. And okay. um, the book's the book's fairly non-secular, but um, it's a deep exploration um, of morality through many different socio-cultural lenses from, you know, social media to politics to family to institutions. Wow. Um, and it's for anybody interested in this area, it's um, I, I thought it was fascinating. So that's a big, big shout out. Oh, that recommendation. sounds amazing. Yeah, really good. Mm. Yeah. Um, and finally, Manisha, um, any parting uh, words, thoughts, asks of the audience and uh, where can people find you if they move to reach out? Well, I'm on LinkedIn, so just um, shoot me a, a message. I'm more than happy to catch up. Um, and obviously the website Centre for Inclusive Design as well. Um, and what was the other question you had for me? Uh, any any uh, asks of the audience or parting messages? Yep. We do a, we have an exercise that I'd love people to do and mm. literally what it is is write down the five people that you um, whose whose views you rely on the most at work mm. and then think about how many their age their gender their abilities and look at who's missing mm. and see if you can find someone to have a cup of coffee with who's someone you wouldn't normally have on that list Beautiful Love, love it. it simple easy powerful Fantastic um, Manisha, thank you so much. That was um, that was a wonderful conversation. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope the audience did too. Um, and uh, like I say, we'll, I'm sure we'll do a round two at some point as well. Thank you. It was lovely being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this episode useful, the best way to support us and spread the message is by telling a friend or a colleague. You can also give us a rating or a comment on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like to learn more about Leaders for Good and how you can start making positive change, head on over to leadersforgood.org and join our free community.